Welcome to The Rebooting Show. I'm Brian Morrissey. For those new to the show, this is a podcast about building sustainable media businesses. It's something I've been doing for a long time. I was most recently the president and editor-in-chief of Digiday Media, where we were building our own sustainable media businesses. And now I'm doing it again with The Rebooting. So it's a little bit meta in that it is a media publication about building media publications. So if you don't already, please sign up for The Rebooting newsletter. It is available at rebooting.substack.com. And it comes out twice a week. One is about this podcast and the other is my own essay about different topics when it comes to building sustainable media businesses. So check it out, please. This week, I spoke to Evan Britton. Evan is, uh, in addition to being a Philadelphia sports fan, the founder of Famous Birthdays. If you don't know Famous Birthdays, it's pretty much the IMDB of the creator economy. This is where you go to find out more about the established and up and coming stars of TikTok and other platforms. I wanted to have Evan on for a few reasons, but one important one is that Famous Birthdays is turning its first party data into an enterprise product, a SaaS product, if you will. And I think too often the discussion of data and publishing ends up really being a discussion of ad targeting and publishing. And that is not the full story. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. Please send me a note with your thoughts and feedback, criticisms, or compliments. I am bmarcy at gmail.com. Now on to my conversation with Evan. Evan, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you taking the time. Happy to be here. So let's get right into the origin story for those who are not into the sort of creator world, because you were early before everyone was talking like creator economy, creator economy, creator economy. You started Famous Birthdays. Give us the origin story. I'm, I must admit, I backed into the creator economy. My initial vision was that on Wikipedia, there was too much info for mobile. So if I would look up Tom Hanks or Kobe Bryant or Beyonce on mobile on Wikipedia in 2012, it was way too long. And IMDb's mobile site was not a good experience. So that was my initial vision. Birthday is always often the first thing people want to know about a celebrity, but there's other information they want to know. We were like a mobile-friendly Wikipedia slash IMDb. And that was the vision. Nothing to do with creators. I'm more about user experience. And I saw that the user experience on mobile for Wikipedia was not good. I think you don't want a book report on mobile. You want to get right to it. You know, I saw that as an entrepreneur because I could be mobile first where these legacy publishers weren't. But one thing I've always told publishers and I've always stuck to is to internal search is the North Star. You can look at analytics all day long, but what people are searching on your property is gold because it's what they want. And a lot of websites you'll notice use Google's product where it shows results from your site. So if I search basketball, it would show any result on famous birthdays for basketball. But instead on mobile, you don't want to have extra clicks. We took the user right to the page they wanted. So if they search for Tom Hanks, they went right to his profile. If they search basketball, we listed all of the basketball players on our platform. And by building out our own search, we also had technology where we can see what was being missed. So maybe in the early days, 70% of searches were a hit meaning we had a result for it, whether it was a celebrity or if somebody searched a movie. We didn't have movies at the get-go, but we did eventually. If someone searched May 12th, we sent them to the page with May 12th birthdays. Yeah. 
So we got rid of the. Let's back up. Like, like, what year are we talking about? When did this start? And okay, 2012. You start famous birthdays, and the idea was people go to to Google, and probably the number one search category is porn, and the number two is probably celebrity. Yes, that was an area where I knew there would be user demand, and there wasn't a good mobile experience. Okay. So I was into celebrity culture as much as UX, but you know, IMDb was obviously a site I was on, and Wikipedia. So yeah, it was 2012 right as mobile was starting to get mainstream and we looked at our internal searches and those searches showed us that the creator economy had a huge void to fill because with tom hanks and kobe bryant we were just a resource with all these vine stars in 2013 and 14 we became the source so is that where it really started to go into the creator is with vine because i think look a lot of people don't remember vine we all remember Vine. Some of us remember Vine. And this was one of the few platforms that really started to develop a set of stars. Yes. Star and Vine and Twitter. And we one of the aha moments, I remember some actor who had a speaking line in Star Wars, their email and their Twitter would be like so-and-so's agent or their manager. And that person had 8,000 Twitter followers. We saw these Vine stars with a million followers and their G, not even Gmail, their email was right on their Twitter page. So there was just such a gap and we would email them, hey, we'd love to add you to our site. Fans are searching for you and they were on Wikipedia or IMDb, so they couldn't wait to get back to us. So we would have a Vine star with a million followers sending us their headshot in their bio. And then at the same time, we had these movie actors that wouldn't respond to us that had 5,000 followers. So we saw very early that there was a gap between where culture was, but where the industry was set up. Okay, so the industry was set up, and usually is, to serve the old guard, right? The established. Yep. And the established celebrity world are the Tom Hanks and, and Russell Crowe, I guess. I don't know. Is he still acting even? And those type of people. But then, I guess at the time it was millennials were moving to Gen Z. They were starting to develop their own affinity for a totally different category of celebrity. And I can remember the first time I saw there was a line around the block near our offices in New York. I was like, oh my God, what is going on here? And I asked and someone said, oh, so-and-so's here. And I never heard of the person before. And it was a YouTuber. And there was like a thousand people and there was police out to try to keep order. So is that the gap you saw? Yeah, that was traditional celebrities. You were a fan of them, but with social stars, you were really a fan. It's different when you see someone in the movie acting as someone else versus watching them brush their teeth every morning. So social just had a, a deeper level of fandom. And we always saw that in our, our rankings. We rank celebrities based on how much passion they have on our site. And someone with a million followers, they might get 30% engagement where Beyonce has 100 million, but she only gets 1%. So there was they really hit a nerve, these social stars. And we were the first to see it frankly, because we saw in our data, these searches, which were very controversial in 2014 and 15, stars ranked above Taylor Swift and ranked above mainstream stars. And we would get hate mail and emails. And even our team didn't understand it. We're not credible. Why are these social stars who only a certain subset know ranking ahead of, you know, mainstream stars? But you know, we just, I always followed the data and we saw early on that these social stars had passion leaps and bounds ahead of traditional. Yeah. 
And then another good early signal was VidCon. I was at VidCon in 2014. And I remember seeing a social star walk through who only had a million followers getting screamed and tears. I've heard VidCon is insane. Insane. Well, not anymore, because now it's corporate. They got bought by the old days. I remember sending a reporter because it was just nuts. And it was validating because data is what we saw our data in real time. I remember Ricky Dillon was not on Wikipedia. I don't even know who these people are. Who is Ricky Dillon? I got to admit, I don't know who Ricky Dillon is. I just, he was an old Vine star that okay. broke out, okay. that got swarmed at VidCon, but wasn't on Wikipedia. So it was validating because if there's 500 screaming people for this person in a yeah. parking lot in Anaheim, they probably should be on Wikipedia over somebody with a speaking line in the movie. So I just saw that that was the niche. That's the vision. And we're going to hit our 10-year anniversary in March. We're still doing the same thing. We're looking at our searches to see who people were interested in. We profile them. And then for existing people on our platform, our rankings change based on user activity. So I've been able to combine that initial vision with staying in my lane. Yeah, that's interesting because you've bootstrapped this, right? Yep. Talk to me about that decision because I think these days there's a lot of money going around and there's a lot of people raising money. Even people with content businesses are back to raising money. That didn't work out that great the first time. But talk to me about the decision to bootstrap. The decision bootstrapping, like I thought we got to a few million users, I was excited. That's, I thought <laughs> that was the ceiling. And then the creator economy gave us this amazing tailwind. So did you think it was going to be the, the quote-unquote lifestyle business? Like if best case scenario, it's a lifestyle business. I, I wasn't thinking those terms. I was just yeah. passionate to build a platform. I just think the thing about bootstrapping is that nobody cared for a few years. I mean, like we go to VidCon now, everyone knows us. The first few years, nobody cared. But that's an advantage. Yeah. It's an advantage, but there was never VCs at that time knocking down our door. And another good thing we've done is we've never worked with advertisers. My passion (laughs) and focus is, well, because it's a focus. My passion and focus in our team is is on helping users. So we weren't going out how to hit these numbers on a revenue. It was more how do we serve users and match our searches. So there was never a time when I needed VC to achieve the vision because we just grew as the site group. Yeah. So the the distribution was... Entirely or mostly through SEO, I would assume. Early, obviously, Google is key. We had a cool brand. Our direct traffic always grew proportionally. So if we were 20% direct, 80% referral, as our site tripled, we were still 20% direct. So our direct in year five was more than our referral in year one, which was always comforting, if that makes sense. Yeah. So our direct continued to grow alongside of our referral, even though referral was more than 50%. Google definitely was a key referral source. We launched an app pretty early, which was good because it was where power users went. And then social became a good referral because it was so key to our creator economy. Social was a great way to grow alongside that. I would guess the typical thing is someone is like, you know, Logan Paul birthday. Like you see the auto completes net worth or whatever. I don't know if you guys do net worth, but like, yeah, it's not even birthday. It's just Logan Paul. I mean, that's the thing. When we're the first to profile these creators, so they're not on Wikipedia or IMDb. Remember, if you go to their social platform, you're going to get a lot of videos of them jumping out of an airplane, but we write a good bio with them, with media and with popularity rankings. So often we'll rank for them you know, for just Logan Paul. And I do think that one beauty of staying in your lane, people at VidCon told me they used to find us in Google, started going direct because we stayed in our lane and we were the leader. So over time, we get more and more direct. And the number one search to our site is famous yeah. birthdays. 
And that's because of our brand. So talk to me about staying in your lane. You've mentioned that a few times. I wrote earlier today about quality over quantity. People talk about it, but then when push comes to shove, they always go to the quantity at the end of the day. And I feel like staying in your lane is something similar, whereas in focus, people talk about it a lot, but ultimately eyes wander. (laughs) I've done it. It's been hard. 10 years. I knew there was a big opportunity. IMDb and Wikipedia are huge platforms. So there was a big opportunity. I knew there's always great ideas. We can do trivia. Uh, You know, we can sell merch. We can sell direct ad sales. We can launch a conference. I mean, every idea was good. But but I remember the the Instagram founder once said, Kevin Systrom, he said no to 99.9% of ideas, I think he said. And to me, the missed search is always our North Star. Today, our missed search is searched hundreds of thousands of times per day. The search engine is searched hundreds of thousands of times per day. Maybe we're matching 85% of those searches. So that's 15% that we're not matching. So it, it let, makes it easier for me to focus because I can see users not getting what they want. Yeah. So why would I go launch merch or, or maybe do a talent agency? You know, we had Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Ray in our office before anyone knew them. We were the first company to ever contact Addison Ray. So could we have managed her? Maybe. But every day I see the missed searches. And that's where we have uh, white space yeah. in that we're the leader. There's so many talent agencies. There's so many influencer marketing shops, but we are the platform. Yeah. We're the IMDb for creators. So we just triple down. And I'll also say I'm also humbled. Like I didn't think the site would get, you know, the tens of millions of users organically. So I remind myself that and I don't need to try to be Zuckerberg. So it helps me not go for the shiny object and just keep hitting bunt singles every day. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about building the business. We had talked over the years because you're not spending your time sucking up to advertisers or whatever, but you got to make money, right? Advertising is generally a way to monetize celebrity and celebrity adjacent content. Let's just talk about how you really built the business using programmatic as your main method. We tripled down on programmatic. It has a lot of pros and a lot of cons. So we leaned on that. The one beauty of programmatic, it's automated. So nobody on the team deals with the avid monetization. I do it. We Once we pass 10 million users, we could get every feed, you know, all like we got the direct Amazon, uh, you know, bidder and all of the direct feeds. So, you know, we built the good technology. You know, our CTOs, we built great programmatic technology to connect to all the programmatic networks. But then we let them do what they do. We don't have any overhead on it. So... Instead of complaining about lower CPMs, I was happy that we had no overhead associated to it. And we didn't have to spend any time or effort on it, which is also key. If you're great at selling to advertisers, your users don't care. In fact, often it'll hurt your users because they don't want to see a Ford truck driving over your homepage. (laughs) So I think that's another beauty of programmatic is that you don't have to do something you don't want to do for your users. And it's reliable. We don't have to do collections. And we have enough scale. I mean, we're serving billions of impressions. Could we make a lot more of those impressions? Yes. But I always know I can do that later also. And your costs would go way up, right? Building a direct sales force is extremely expensive and hard. Yeah, right. It's hard. As our brand grew, we became a leader. The other thing about doing direct sales is it competes with programmatic because we're so good at being available and programmatic that if we did direct sales, my salespeople aren't going to like programmatic. So I think the good thing is if somebody wants to directly advertise on us, I'm sure they can figure it out programmatically. And I would say that as our brand grows, that that should help our programmatic CPMs because 
we have the largest Gen Z audience on the web outside the social platform. But when you say programmatic, is it like open programmatic? Yes. Or do you do private marketplaces? Private markets to me is direct sales. Maybe it's kind of in the middle, yeah. but then you have to woo. You need a salesperson to do that. They don't just come in right. with P&P deals. <laughs> but you got to buy some steak dinners and hit the soul cycle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I'd rather make our site extremely fast. If you go to and click the randomizer button, it's lightning fast. I'd rather obsess over that than those steak dinners. So yeah, so, so programmatic's been good and it's allowed us to do what we're most passionate about. Right. And so programmatic seems like it was a bridge for the business till this data offering yes. because people talk about data. They talk about first party data and blah, 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 blah. Yep. And most of it is, is not organized in a way or as valuable as people think. Explain to me what you saw, because it's very clear that you followed the data. I'm reminded when you're talking of the episode of Seinfeld, when Kramer took over movie phone and people were calling him asking for movie times. So finally he was like, why don't you just tell me what you want? And that's search. Search is why don't you tell me what you want? People just tell you. <laughs> So explain to me how you came up with the data product. We've always used data on our own end to make decisions. Yeah. So when we, would re we would reach out to celebrities to get them into the office to shoot video. We couldn't reach out to all 200,000 celebrities on our platform. So we did it based on who users were interested in. And we had Charlie D'Amelio in her office four times before she was going to the NBA All-Star game. You know, three or four times. We did our first ever interview. We didn't pay her. But we contacted her when she didn't have a million followers. So at that time, our brand was a platform she was excited about. So you know, our internal searches have always showed us uh, what people are interested in. And since we also write bio, we have our own copyrighted bios on the creators, so we can merge that data. So we know which fitness YouTuber is being searched the most in January. So yeah, we've always had the data. And um, I was always hesitant to launch an influencer marketing platform for, you know, I would never want to do it to match, you know, to be like an agency where I contact, I manually contacted creators. I manually set them up with brands, even though there's high margin in that. You know, I was thinking more on the software platform side. But, you know, I don't worry about being focused that I waited. But what happened is that one of the top social platforms contacted us. Because they all use our site because they want to make sure they're reaching out to the right creators that are rising on other platforms. All of the social platforms, their creator teams and all the talent agencies, they're all over our site. Wait, 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 wait. Why, why don't they have, they have this data? They have, they don't, they have their own data. So they don't know what's happening on other platforms. Okay. So like YouTube looking for TikTokers to like kind of woo away or something like that. <laughs> we have platform agnostic data. We can see, like, we, the per we saw the Squid Game cast being searched right when the show launched. It's platform agnostic. So that's the beauty of data, is that we have the bio and structure data on them, but then we have the, um, the platform agnostic, then we have the ranking data. So yes, we can tell social platform A who's rising on social platform B. Um, and we can tell a talent agency which of their existing talents rising and who they should sign. The other thing we can do is we can see who's falling. Because if you look at social graphs, it usually just shows followers and likes and engagement. We can see who's being searched less. Also, it's important because people lose their momentum or people don't. Give me someone who I might know who's losing momentum. I'm not oh, Come on. What are you sucking up to the creators? They're not listening to this podcast. Trust me. Charlie DeMello, I'm sure she's still doing fine, but she ain't listening. 
That's not my style. So <laughs> it's just data, Evan. I hear you, but you're like Comscore. They would never give me the good shit, so I always had to get someone's login. Yeah, right. I hear you. <laughs> so this big social platform contacted us, and we started out just sending them spreadsheets, and there, and like then we built the platform. We already had the platform for our own usage. And, you know, then we signed a major talent agency. Okay, so a talent agency is like, look, I want to sign these people, but I can't wait until Charlie DeMello and her various siblings become massive. I got to find the Charlie DeMello before they're Charlie DeMello. And we showed them that we knew because we had her in her office when she had a half a million followers. Yeah. So it was, and again, their whole team uses us to learn about creators and to kind of see our rankings. So the sales has been easy with the companies that are passionate about famous birthdays. And- that's one thing that was humbling at VidCon for me. It wasn't just the fans. It was here in the industry. We've built, we're building out the pro. Now I will say without the consumer site, the consumer site is important because it drives the data. Yeah. So if we didn't have the you know, tens of millions of users, we wouldn't keep bioing new creators and then we wouldn't have the rankings. Yeah. I will say this, having that B2B model for sure you're charging a lot of money we're going to talk about specifics you're going to talk about specifics about the money in a bit but like having that b2b side means you don't have to make the kind of compromises on the consumer side that you would have to do if you had to maximize revenue because that's when you get the ford f-150 driving across your screen <laughs> consumer business is going well so we're being convinced from getting feedback from these social platforms and other companies like Creator Economy and the companies that have signed up, talent agencies, that this is a great second way for us to grow the business. Yeah. And it's not going to affect the consumer because I don't want to have the Ford truck driving over the homepage. I don't think I would have anyway <laughs> without the pro. That said, I like that this new business does not affect the consumer. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. I don't want to launch a second business that affects the consumer because that's what we do is focus on the user. Yeah. I always think about like DNA a lot. And it seems it's important that data is in the DNA of this company. I mean, you founded it and you're obviously very into the data. I'm glad you didn't tell me that you're going to be the Bloomberg of the creator economy, although you can use that if you do decide to raise money. That would be like a $10 billion valuation just by saying that, I think. But a lot of people want to be the Bloomberg of X because maybe they can get SaaS multiples and whatnot. But the reality is data businesses are really difficult, I think, for content businesses to pull off because it's not in the DNA of most content businesses to be data businesses, and they're just different. First party is also key. <laughs> we only look at our data, but we have enough users where our data is relevant. We have our own data, and that, that changes the game. And also, we were already using this for several years on our own, yeah. so that helps a lot too. Like when we launched our probe platform, we already had it built for our own internal usage. That's how we knew to contact Addison and Charlie early. So I think that we've been able to add on the data business because that's how we were running our own business. We got good at it. And that also helps when we pitch clients to show them how this helped us. And now we're giving it to them to help them. So yeah, I would say to your point, it would be hard for a content business who data wasn't already part of their way they had a competitive advantage to go then launch it. Obviously, a lot of people want to spin out tech or SaaS products from content businesses for the obvious valuation reasons, but it has to be part of your business. Like, I mean, I haven't seen the Axios HQ, but it, it at least makes sense that they built 
some kind of software that enables that smart brevity thing and to then be able to spin out that software. That makes sense. But if it's just, oh, we're focused on this area and then we're going to build a data business also because this and this and this, and that'll get us better. I just, I've got a lot of doubts that that ever works. And the other real tailwind we've had is that, again, everyone already uses us and knows us. You know, people have asked me, why don't you call your data business something more corporate? And it might be fun to call it something like, IntelliData or something like that. Constellantis. Exactly. And that might be fun, but like everyone already uses famous birthdays on the consumer side. And we're only showing them a very small portion of what we have. So that also helps. It's almost analogous to how it's not a paywall, but again, a lot of publishers expose 20% of their articles and then the rest is behind the paywall. So I think that if a publisher can do a data business in a similar mindset to there, that can be a tailwind. By the way, Constellantis is a great name for it because it's like Constellation Stars and just throwing it out there. Atlantis, like, I mean, it's like a pretty good name. I don't know. (laughs) I'm saying, okay, we've got Constellantis. You can choose the pronunciation. And we have the Bloomberg or the creator economy. Boom, 10 billion. (laughs) But you got to build then. Okay, so, oh my God, we forgot to talk about the numbers. How much are you charging for this this pro thing? We haven't released what we're charging. I know, but that's why we're here. Right. But what I would say is we're going quality over quantity for sure. <laughs> you know, so, 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 so we're really adding value for our existing clients. And um, this isn't like 300 bucks a year. This is no, like, it's not. We didn't go to retail. If it was, we'd have a checkout on the site. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. we're not going retail. We're going enterprise. Remember the first two clients we had were giant org and they were happy. So we're not going. Okay. But do you, do you sell seat licenses? Like what, how do you. Yeah. Right now we do it based on uh, usage. Okay. Based on usage and their annual contracts. Um, We started out uh, month to month because again, you know, that's another advantage we have. We have the consumer platform that's growing. We want to drive ROI with Famous Birthdays Pro. So we're not concerned with locking our clients into long-term contracts. It's all first-party data that we have. So we're happy right now with month to month. And I think that's been another tailwind for us because we don't need to lock in an annual contract to hit some metric. We want to be about ROI. Okay. And so how big is the overall company? We have about 50 people working on the team. People? I meant money. Oh, yeah. We don't look, we don't get into (laughs) We don't get into money. I like when the founder is like, we can't talk about this. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's you. And yes, you can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is. So I don't. (laughs) Okay, there we go. Thank you for that. I'll give you that. I don't get into the numbers. It's not, it's not about the numbers. We're not, we're not numbers driven. We're, if we weren't have a sales team. Yeah, but then it helps. So you got 50 people. Like what percentage is the pro product going to be at the end of the year? Do you think of the business? That's a good question. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that that's, um, yeah, I would say at the end of this year, pro might be like a third maybe, okay. but again, those are, um, <laughs> and look, we just launched that and those are, you know, enterprise contracts. And that's not because the ad business is not growing. The ad business will also grow. Yes. No, the ad business is very stable. I think for ad business to really grow, grow, we'd have to get the salespeople. I think, look, programmatic is not falling to zero, but it's not going to the moon. So I think that's the exciting part about the enterprise business is once you have tens of millions of users and you're saturated in programmatic, it's either we start doing ARB, which we don't do, we don't buy traffic, or we get direct ads. So I think the enterprise business might even more than a third. 
the enterprise business. So I, I think that's definitely a tailwind for growth. I always hear people, whenever there's any sort of privacy regulation being suggested or third-party cookie or something, they're always saying that it's going to like kill publishers like you. I've been hearing that, Brian, for 10 years. <laughs> Yet like... somehow, I'm not stepping over the bodies of these publishers when I leave my home. So I'm wondering where the gap is. Well, the gap is maybe in the business model. Like, I'm realistic about it. I just told you we're not going to double our programmatic revenue. Yeah. So, you know, so so I could, we don't have all this overhead associated to it. Um, and we strong brand in the community. And users care about us. So that's, you know. How many people visit a, 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 a month? I think we're about 25 million uniques, all organic. But that number changes a lot. You know, we're growing our app, which has less uniques, but it has, like, really stickiness. And, um, you know, on social, sometimes we'll drive more or less traffic based on yeah. factors. So I don't, wor I don't worry about the headlines. I remember the ad blocking <laughs> apocalypse and then yeah. tonight. It's like we have a strong I brand, know. users. And we whipped, we whipped up some of that hysteria. It's a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. It was a good time. Also, the hysteria goes the other way, too. And I, I know you know this. <laughs> publishers that change their model to suit. We don't do either suit a tailwind like how you know, but making certain content platform, we make it for users. So it works both ways. Okay, so right now the, the revenue portfolio is programmatic ads and then enterprise, more of a SaaS model. Yeah. And you haven't, you haven't branched in, there's no content studio, there's no OTT. No, we make our own content for like, we make our own content for YouTube and our site, but we're not, we're not looking to like, uh, you know, we have, we actually were doing a Snapchat Discover okay. show, which we haven't announced yet. There we go. We just announced it. Yeah. We're doing, we got it. We've like Snapchat approved. Okay. Us. Finally. <laughs> well, Snapchat approved us for Discover, which was exciting because that's, okay. that's more of a walled garden than YouTube, but, you know, anyone can publish. So yeah, we're, we're making um, fun content, but yeah, we're not going to the studio. We don't want to be an agency. The other unique thing that we've done. We want to be agnostic to all creators, which is like our rankings are based on users. They can't be bought. And, you know, if we signed one talent, other people would say, you know, why is other talent? And I'm sure. So we're just careful to kind of treat all creators the same and use our rankings to dictate everything and be agnostic. And I think that's one of the reasons why users love us. Yeah. And you also, I mean, just by bootstrapping it to this point, because it's really hard, right? Like you have so much more the VCs would say optionality. Because I wonder when you're talking, I think back to like a rap genius, right? Yep. And that to me is like a perfect case study of, oh, great product. They landed in a great space. And it seems to me just from the outside that talk about not staying in your lane. Like they just tried to do all sorts of stuff. I'm not familiar with everything they did, but I guess, look, I think that Look, obviously, media companies well, they pivoted got it. to video. They were going to make their own like shows and stuff like this. And it's like, it's okay. People are coming to you for lyrics. Like, double down on that. Well, remember, like, if you have an ad based model, it's not a, the great thing about enterprise SaaS, it's scalable. You know, like, we add yeah. more clients and it just grows. You know, ad businesses, it's not as scalable because it's more, you know, if you, you pivot to video, you content, you have to create that content and, you know, and then you get some, you know, margin on top of it. So I think ad-based businesses aren't, um, you know, it's exciting. And I think that's also obviously, look, there's also, you know, consumer SaaS. You know, we could have charged our users a few bucks a month and gave them extra functionality. 
but we went the enterprise model, which is good because then we don't have to gate anything with our users. But I do think that um, part of the reason that you're seeing so much tailwinds with subscriptions is because it's just more scalable than an ad-based model. Yeah. So final thing is just the creator economy. It's getting a ton of focus right now. Um, explain why this is a long-term trend and not just like the latest fad. It's definitely not a fad. There's many tailwinds. A, platforms. They are, look at their cap and look at the time on site and engagement. The new age of entertainment is not watching. It used to be a two-hour movie, then half-hour Seinfeld, then five-minute Netflix video. I mean, you know, like five-minute YouTube video. Now it's a 15-second TikTok. Remember, on TikTok, in three minutes, you get 12 pieces of content. So just, it's just more efficient. This is why I stay away from TikTok. I don't think my analog brain can, can take it. I think it would be the thing that breaks me. It's where mobile consumption is. And at the same time, you have iPhones getting more powerful, 5G's getting more powerful. And then the creators, users have found that that's a great way for them to be entertained. And TikTok and the AI algorithms make it so easy yeah. that... It's just, that's not good. We're not going backwards. We're not going from a two-hour movie from a 15-second TikTok backwards. And, and, and from that, and I also think the social platforms, as you know, have been burnt by news. They want to stay away from there. Creators is much more evergreen for them. So the social platforms have all, for years, they wouldn't prioritize creators. That's completely flipped. I mean, even Zuckerberg has mentioned creators multiple times. They all have funds. You know, YouTube keeps announcing how much they're paying creators. So like Snapchat was paying a million dollars a day for highlight. Creators have a lot of leverage because there's five or six social platforms that are that have scale and they're all growing, but creators are the fuel to their engagement without news. So from that has came a lot of leverage and tools and business models supporting creators. Yeah. And I also think it's like probably not to be underestimated, or maybe it's obvious, is that you know, we've got like genera uh, yeah, generation is growing up that like they were growing up with like Jake and Logan Paul with PewDiePie and stuff like this. So who they aspire to be is 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 not like the Hollywood celebrity necessarily. I mean, like there's a whole group of uh, a lot of people, a lot of kids who want to be like Mr. Beast. No, yeah, I think there was an article that said the number one career kids want is a, yeah. is a social star, YouTube star. But the other thing to double down that even the traditional stars like J-Lo and Will Smith are going on TikTok because that's where it's headed. Yeah. So it's not only that the new people don't aspire to be traditional, traditional sees the leverage of, I mean, Jimmy Fallon does TikTok, uh, you know, videos with these stars. And he's like, you know, yeah. he was not doing it a few years ago. So yes, it's definitely, the creator economy is not a fad. There's engagement and money and um, attention there. Got it. All right, Evan, we're going to leave it there. Even without talking Philly sports, we're just going to have to leave that for the next time. When you come with real numbers. I would like to say something in closing. And I'd like to say... I'm going to say it in closing. I'm saying at the end so you know it's not round nosing. I am a huge fan of all the work you've done, uh, Brian. Like When I was starting Famous Birthdays, there was no podcast that really talked to key execs making the decisions about where the industry is headed and you were always fair without being too on either side. And you also made it fun. Okay. So I just really appreciate all the work you did for the industry. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
Thank you for that, Evan. Thank you for the conversation. Check out Famous Birthdays. You've probably ended up there anyway in your travels and trying to figure out who the latest TikTok star is, at least if you're me. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be back next week with a new episode.